Basically, embodied carbon emissions is on when you talk about construction on different levels of the construction of a home. It's in the production of the materials, it's in the transportation, and it is in establishing the home together. And another way to, to look at this is that the construction industry is accountable for 23% air pollution, 50% contributing to climate change, 40% of drinking water pollution, and 50% of our landfill waste. You know, big kind of driving force behind Array is to show that the residential construction industry can do its part. It's lagging behind, and it's really not rocket science to take those steps. Ray, you know, is North Carolina's first 100% net zero energy neighborhood is for all of the houses are going to have a reduced carbon footprint. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you businesses that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business is one that employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today we have with us Jody Baxt and Kar Radamakar, co-founder of Circular Design Consultants, Net Zero Homes. Jody joins us from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Kar from The Hague, Netherlands. Welcome, Jody. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice to be here. A climate impact report in 2023 by the Rocky Mountain Institute states that the impact of embodied carbon emissions by the home construction industry in the United States is 50 million tons. And that would be equivalent to 138 natural gas fire power plants or the yearly emission of smaller countries like Norway, Peru and Sweden. We've heard about carbon emissions. What is embodied carbon emissions? Basically, embodied carbon emissions is on different levels. When you talk about construction on different levels of the construction of a home, it's in the production of the materials, it's in the transportation, and it is in establishing the home together. It all takes a lot of energy. And that's, you know, the energy is emitting carbon dioxide. GHGs released in the manufacturing, installation, transportation, distribution, maintenance, disposal of construction materials, all the components that are required in the construction industry. That's why, for instance, the European Union has set a limit at 2030, 50% of all construction has to be circular. Circular means you have to be reusing materials. So another way to, to look at this is data from the U.S. Green Building Council that says that the construction industry is accountable for 23% air pollution, 50% contributing to climate change, 40% of drinking water pollution, and 50% of our landfill waste is coming from total construction industry, with a portion of that coming from residential. You know, that's why the stimulus behind us creating Array. Those are really big numbers. Like, who would think about drinking water pollution as part of the construction industry? You can imagine some contamination, but 40% of the drinking water pollution for it to come from the construction industry, it seems like a really huge number. Commercial industry, they're way ahead of the residential industry with compliance with LEED standards and wanting to have green buildings. And certainly in Europe, where they're way far ahead with making buildings more circular, you know, big kind of driving force behind Array is to show that the residential construction industry can do its part. 
it's lagging behind and it's really not rocket science to take those steps. So let's just focus on the different ways that the construction industry, and we'll focus on residential because your business is at this point in time is residential construction. What are the opportunities to reduce the carbon emissions? Is it just substituting materials? How can we break it up into different components in constructing a home? We're not builders, so we'll give you some pieces. You know, we're the developers behind this project. You know, it's building a much tighter envelope so that your mechanical systems are much more efficient. There's not as many emissions. Um, Also building a, a much tighter envelope so that when you go to add solar, you're not adding like a massive solar array, everything is efficient. So you add just enough solar so that you're going to hit net zero. It's building that envelope tighter. It's sealing, you know, around windows and doors. It's having, it could be depending on what climate zone you're in, you know, different wall systems that are more efficient, you know, two by six versus two by four framing. So that's deeper. So you have more insulation. It could be two by eight. It could be a SIP panel. That's a continuous wall system so that there aren't thermal breaks in the wall. There's many ways to make buildings more homes more energy efficient. And that's not so high tech or such a huge leap. What you're saying is the technology is there. The technology is there. I just want to add one thing, make the homes a little bit smarter as well. So there will be a a good ventilation, for instance, a good ventilation program. You know, talking about the tight envelopes, I think a few years ago, some cities had such high R values for the insulation, and they were so focused on having the homes really tight, they did not provide sufficient ventilation. So I had a friend whose house, the walls, in fact, crumbled within a few years. The problem is that humans emit water. And it's actually a lot, you know, in the breathing, in the bodies emitting water when they're in the house. And if that's not ventilated, uh, you get a moist house, which allows all kinds of, uh, of things happening, like crumbling walls. But also, you need more heat to heat the house, because when you know everything is a little moist, it feels more chilly. True. Yeah, the ventilation is an essential part of building a tight envelope. As well as how insulating your attic and whether you go with a, let's say it could be an insulated slab or a sealed crawl space. It's all about how every piece of the puzzle is built more efficiently, certainly with appropriate ventilation, because these are technically, they really are healthier homes. In our recent episode with Eric Corey Fried of Canon Design, and we talked about fenestration, windows, basically, and he said in the older homes, if you added up all the leakages in a medium-sized American home built before the 1980s, if you summed all the leakages up, it would be equivalent to having a small window open all winter, all summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have to work towards making the envelope tighter. Well, you can do that also with existing homes. I mean, also the older homes. It's redoing actually the insulation of the walls and redoing the way the windows are placed in the wall, basically. Even sealing around light fixtures, around like can lights, it's amazing. There's some simple things that you can do. Insulating, you know, your attic, 
that's an easy one. You know that majority of the leakage is through the roof. So the roof is the first thing you really want to insulate really well. The whole intention of an approach behind Array, you know, which is the is North Carolina's first 100% net zero energy neighborhood, is for all of the houses are going to have a reduced carbon footprint. It shows that the residential construction industry can do its part. It is significant. You can live in a beautiful home. You don't have to live in the back, you know, woods. You know, some people don't get it. An average home in any neighborhood can be net zero. But what's interesting is just with 12 homes, Array will be a 12-home neighborhood. With 12 homes, will that contributes to 110 metric ton reduction in greenhouse gas emissions every year for 12 net zero energy homes. And if you want to turn that into an equivalency, so it kind of makes more sense, that's equivalent to 277,000 vehicle miles traveled, or I love this one, 13,394,345 smartphones charged. Wow. Or another one is 37 and a half tons of waste recycled rather than landfill. And that's every year from... 12 houses. And 12, you know, they're not mega mansions. They're just... No, the houses in Array, I mean, it's really, there. it is a custom home neighborhood and people are going to build what they want. But most people are going to build probably between like 1,800 to maybe 3,500 square feet, with most of them probably being between 2,000 and 2,500. To put this in perspective, almost 5 million homes in North Carolina Okay. If you be able to, you know, reduce the footprint of 10% of it, it's enormous. Wow. Those numbers are really surprising. And let's talk about what's the relationship between Array and Circular Design Consultants. So we actually have two companies. We have Circular Design Consultants and we also have a real estate company called Real Estate Experts. And together, our two companies are developing and marketing the Array neighborhood. Besides Array, of course, also the vision of Array, uh, which could be applied anywhere else. So you're looking to create a prototype and you hope that this is replicated several, several times, not only in North Carolina, but... Yes, we really you know, want this to be inspirational. There are other net zero neighborhoods in other states, but not in North Carolina. And I am really proud to say that we have already given birth to a 13th home. And that one is actually done and up and running. And our numbers are even better. <laughs> you actually have saved more mm-hmm. than what you just mentioned. We've saved more. I mean, the other thing about array is that we wanted to do differently is this happens to be out in the country i mean we would love to be able to make you know do an urban project but you know getting the land acquiring the land is extremely expensive so this is more rural and it's on a 54 acre parcel and we're doing everything all of the design of the entire neighborhood is to protect the environment And we're keeping 56% of it in open space. I mean, living in nature is really healthy. True. And it's just 15 minutes out of the city. I had an Orange County council person, like basically be negative about the project. 
because it wasn't urban and it wasn't walkable. It's like, okay, you give me the land and then I'll develop it. (laughs) And Orange County is where Chapel Hill is? Yes. And this neighborhood is about 15 minutes from Chapel Hill, but you have to drive. Cor, you come from Europe where many of the homes are over 100 years old. How are they making those homes net zero? And you have such lofty goals in Europe. We have a home here and we have a home in Holland. In Holland, it's a home from 1912, which is for European standards not that old, but it's old. And we did a lot already. So I have solar panels on the roof. We have double glass, triple glass. The next step, we have insulated roof area that we don't have any gas heating anymore. We'll have a heat pump. That's a different type of heat pump than they're used here in in the US. The the heat pump will be using the energy from the solar panels that are there and will heat or cool the house. You're able to do all this retroactively. Yes, all that. You can't do everything, like insulating the walls better, the outside walls. That is a tough cookie. It's like building an extra wall around it, an envelope. And that is... uh, that's first, it's expensive. And second, it's our house in the middle of the city. It's attached to all kinds of other houses. So it's not so easy. How did you two meet? He is across the pond in Netherlands and you were here. How did you two meet? Uh, the story begins, uh, I'm an older guy. Uh, <laughs> the story begins when I met Jody's brother in Spain. When was that? 1976. Right. And in 1980, I came over to the U.S. and I met Jody. <laughs> so that's the link. <laughs> and you guys worked before on other projects, or this is the first time you both plunged in into this partnership? You know, the first time we do something really together, other than private things. <laughs> <laughs> so whose idea was this? Was Jody a developer and Core was... What did each one of you bring to the project? The land that started it. We were fortunate enough to come across the land and to be able to be involved with this. And and it was also a client of mine was a piece of this until he stepped out and then we stepped forward. But it was very much stimulated by this piece of property and it being so special and so beautiful that we wanted to do. It was a fait accompli, the land was going to be developed. The question was how. So we could have easily sold it to the highest bidder and had McMansions there. And we did not want to do that. You know, we could have made a ton of money. It wasn't about that. We did not want to do that. We wanted to do what we could to put what we felt was like appropriate there and to protect it as much as possible. So originally we were like, this should be off the grid. Let's have 12, you know, see how many homes we can put in here that's appropriate and let's have it be off the grid. And we found out that you cannot have a neighborhood off the grid in North Carolina. A homeowner can be off the grid anywhere they want. They can do whatever they want, buy a piece of land, do whatever they want. But a whole neighborhood is not allowed to be off the grid. So the next option was, okay, then it would be grid tied and you could do net zero energy. And that's really how it started. And then we started looking at the whole parcel holistically to figure out how to protect as much as possible. Yeah, there's maybe a little bit uh, to add to that. In the 80s, I founded my company, which was 
focused on building, you know, developing sustainable socially and economically, but especially energy. Did you say 1980? 1989. That's pretty early on. Not for Europe, but it was early on. Yeah, it, it was one of the first in Holland and was involved in many, many projects in Europe. And one of the last ideas was in 2010, the Green Village in Delft, which was totally sustainable and uh, yeah, all of the above. So all that knowledge I took with me and that helped uh, in this case as well. Delft is where they have the blue painted. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The iconic blue painted uh, Holland. Uh, and then where the TU Delft, the technical university is there. That's where the technical university is and on their campus, they have the Green Village. So I was working at the TU Delft at that time. So fast forward now, when did you start the company together? 2019, that's when it's been a long project. It hasn't been easy to go around and, or convince all the, everyone involved, the county and... I'm not sure I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, all of the technical parts of the process were normal. Nobody ever thought it was going to take over four years to get to the point where we could where the project would be finished, where you could start selling lots. And because there's a story about the neighborhood, but the bigger story is actually the houses. Each house is going to have its own story because, you know, people who are really committed to, you know, living sustainably and, you know, who want to live in a beautiful, nice home in a nice neighborhood with really nice people. It's amazing the people that have been attracted to Array. It's an incredible group of people. But it's just taken, you know, and then COVID hit and interest rates are going crazy and the war in Ukraine, you know, all these things hit and life happens and it slows you down. What you are talking about and what we have spoken up to now is primarily the physical home, the structure of the home. But to make it sustainable, you have to have so many other parts like the environs how much green space you have, how you have the, your roads, your driveway, do you pour concrete, do you pour asphalt? So there are a lot of choices. And I feel I've been doing this for four years. And every day, literally, without exaggeration, I find a new innovation in the space. Mm -hmm. Even in the four years, what you started as what you would do with the house yeah, the solar was existed and the geothermal existed, but other components, there are more innovations and also they are more accessible, at least in the American market. That's very true. I mean, you know, GAF now has its solar shingle. You have more and more really interesting modular home companies that are building, you know, really very cool, like passive houses. One of the homeowners is actually, they're going to be building a passive house with be public. They're going to well exceed the standards array. It's really, really cool. So it's true. There's min every day there are, you know, more innovations and more options, which is nice. What we're finding, you know, in the triangle, and this is probably one of the biggest frustrations is there's really not a ton of builders that think outside the box. There's good builders, but they're just, most people, most builders want to build the same old, same old. Oh, because the, the construction process will change over time. And of course, builders are, you know, try to stay put as long as they can. And it's low risk if you don't innovate, right? Exactly. So I'm trying to understand your business model. So you are a developer, you own the land, 
and you sell the land to individuals who will become landowners. Yeah. What is the commitment that you have from them that they will build a sustainable home who or, or they will align through your values because you have some goals for how the neighborhood should look, function and perform? There's neighborhood covenants, you know, and the covenants include the building standards that we outline for the neighborhood. And this is probably going to sound more restrictive than it is because it's really not restrictive, but it's basically that the houses are built at a minimum to the national green building standards. There's a few other things with respect to like, you know, indoor air quality and whatnot, and that they have active solar. There's things about stewardship of the land and how the land will be used. And there will be, you know, walking trails. There's going to be three miles of walking trails in the woods at Array. We have a big pond in the front, an area next to the pond that's a a neighborhood gathering place with this beautiful stone fireplace. There's an area set aside for the community garden. So it's more about, you know, how to take care of the land, you know, like being respectful with your lighting and things like that. It's pretty easy, but there's people have to agree with the covenants to build a home in Array. Yeah, one of the things uh, that you just mentioned is to trying to create a real community there. So covenant uh, seems like a strong word, but you want people who are follow the philosophy and who are conscious, who respect the planet, the people, and the environment. Exactly. It's really, you know, pretty simple. When we spoke before the recording, we talked about the solar panels. As you know, we are building a new home and we are looking into different solar panels. And we were fascinated to come across this product in a builder's show here in Buffalo, New York. I just heard you mention the GAF solar panels. Talk about that. What information? It's very new. It's just come in the market about a year, year and a half. Yeah. Jingles, yeah. You know, everything that we've learned about it, it's a very good product. And I think that it it's as good of a product as Rack Solar. It just depends on, you know, some people think that because Rack Solar has been around longer, that it's probably safer to go with that. So I think it just depends on people's, how you feel about it. But the GAF Solar shingle is really interesting. I think it aesthetically, it looks really good. What's interesting about it and the difference between the GAF solar shingle versus the Tesla shingle. The Tesla shingle has the electronics behind each shingle and the GAF electronics are in vertical channels. And so the shingles are in groups of three, you know, a channel shingles, one, two, three, horizontally, another channel, one, two, three, another channel. So that if they need to get to the electronics, they don't have to like go behind the shingles. They open up those channels, and they can access the electronics from the attic as well. And GF is a roofing company. It's one of the largest roofing companies in the country. And so they have a division for the solar shingle called GAF Energy. Two other things interesting about it is, and Core can speak to this one, but with rack solar, sometimes when one part of the solar system gets shaded, it can knock out the whole block. And I may not, he's, I might not be saying it, you'll say it better in a second. The GAF, it would only knock out like the three, you know, it's not going to, it doesn't affect as much. Their warranties are unbelievable. Their warranties are incredible. They warrant everything for 25 years, including the inverter. I think the one thing that they're working on that rack solar is probably 
further along because it's been around longer is that smart home part of it is getting all the data from your system. So I know that they're working on that. Then the installation is just like installing your roof shingles. And Core, you were talking about the shade part. You have two ways of connecting them to the grid or to your home. One is called in series and one is called parallel. The one in series connects all the sh- all the shingles or all the panels together and put it then through a converter and then to energy. If there's shade on, say, one third of one panel, it means all the panels will produce only two thirds of the possibilities. Parallel means that there's a little converter in every panel or in every shingle or in every series of shingles, like Jody says. That means if there's one third of your panel covered in shade, it won't affect the impact of the sun on all the other panels or shingles. So they all have a direct connection. They go through the converter straight to the grid or to your home. So the product like GAF, so you can recommend it to the homeowners? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we've recommended that and rack solar to them because it's really up people to make their own decisions. And things will develop onwards because if you look now in, in Europe, there's solar on the walls, there's solar in the windows. You can still look through it. That is all coming to the US later. And also the amount of kilowatt hours they produce in Europe or in China, there are over 500 kilowatt hours they produce. Here, there are like 200, 250. So it's still in development here in the States. And the past president blocks import of solar panels from other countries. It makes me so sad that we lag so far behind Europe in technology. You know, America is the premier in innovation. We have the largest number of Nobel laureates. And in the commercialization part, especially in this sector, we have lagged behind. So Jody mentioned that in terms of solar, it is not doesn't really help to overproduce. So we should put up the amount of solar panels that whose output we estimate we would need for a home's consumption. For a snap metering, basically what you do is you produce when the sun is shining and it's really light. And, and of course, it's during the day when a lot of people are not at home or they use less products. And where you really need energy is in the evening or at night. The thing of net metering is you put all that energy that you produce during the day goes into the grid of the energy supplier. And you have a deal with the energy supplier that you can take out the same amount of energy that you given to the grid, you can take out when you need it. So you build up a kind of uh, balance. But if a way around it could be having a storage, like, like a battery, and there are many batteries around, and they're not really that expensive. So that could be between the grid and your home. So you still have some basics behind it. And one of the ideas of using a battery could be your electric car. You can use the battery of your car. But every electric utility is different. And some do net metering and some don't. And then how they do net metering can be different. We're in Duke Energy territory and they at least do net metering, but they 
zero, you get credits, right, for the energy that you send to the grid. And they zero those credits out at the end of the year. It's not like you bank them and they roll over. It's, I don't know what they, it's kind of crazy. I mean, they should be selling it down the street. I, I really don't know how that part works, but they zero out a homeowner's credits at the end of the year. And then you start again. So producing more than you, you use doesn't really help unless you want to just store it in your own batteries on, on site. And that's a really viable option. But I always thought batteries were expensive. You know, the Tesla panel, the LG ones, or there are a couple of, they are about a few, seven or $8,000. They're non-trivial amount. Correct. There is a tax benefit or there is a credit offered for battery panels in the new IRA Act. But Core said they're affordable. Which are the ones that are affordable? Well, I think a few thousand dollars is affordable in this case, because you have to look at the energy that you put to the grid. And at the end of the year, Duke Energy says, oh, thank you very much. It's free energy for us. And we sell it for money. Well, they're also changing their standards. So yeah. it's similar to what they're doing in California called time of use. It's very complicated and I'm not going to be able to explain it. But just from a, a very layman's uh, explanation, they are going to increase the cost of energy during the high times of use. And they're also going to start increasing their fees for being connected to the grid. Which is obliged. Today, it's a minimal fee. It's like $30, you know, to be connected to the grid if you have solar, just if you're, you know, for net zero. So those fees are going to go up. We really don't know how they're going to go up, but the whole time of use fees will go up. And that actually fits perfectly with what Core said in terms of making your house smarter. So if your house is smarter, then you can kind of work with those time of use issues. And, you know, so maybe you run your wash, you know, really early in the morning or late at night, you know, that kind of thing, where you learn how to work with it better. bit more mindful play with the energy you have for your use. The machines that really consume energy, like your washing machine or your dryer, your dryer is probably the most consuming thing in your house. I, was, I wanted to tell you another kind of roadblock that we hit. One of the things that Core and I really wanted to do is if you have a neighborhood of houses, doesn't matter if it's 12 or 50 or 100, they all have solar, they could share their energy. And that's called a microgrid. And we really wanted to see that happen. But it's a, another roadblock. It's not in North Carolina. It is not allowed. They're doing this in Europe. They've been doing it for a long time. Who's not allowing it? The government, the electric utility industry, however, they have their rules and they have a monopoly and, you know, the power commissions. It's just not allowed. The only place where they've done it is in the mountains of North Carolina, where they had limited access to power. You know, so because there's not limited access, they won't let you do it. I think that these are the kinds of things that will come in the future. And you're seeing microgrids, actually, it's interesting, on military bases so that they have resilient energy. They effectively don't have power outages because they have enough solar and they have their own mini microgrid. So they don't, their power doesn't go out. The thing is that uh, the legislator sees a group of houses that produce energy as an energy plant, as a company. And maybe the energy companies view it as a competition to them. Yes, it is competition. They refused to move with the flow. 
they kept uh, you know producing fossil fuel energy based on fossil fuel and the whole thing you know it's a really good model for them lots of profits and now it's you know they have to really compete with uh, with other means of energy and they found ways to block that and in Europe the governments are minimizing that influence of the energy companies here it's the opposite well you also have many more energy companies it's very the structure of that industry is totally different over there than it is here but the one good thing about array from this perspective if you want to look at it from the glass half full is that there will be 12 homes that all have active solar and when they're ready <laughs> when they're ready to have microgrids array will be poised because all they'll have to do is lay the line yeah and have batteries i understand energy is a big component of how neighborhood can be made sustainable but concretization has caused so many problems in our communities. Let's start by explaining what we mean by concretization. A concrete is extremely energy and efficient. It uses a lot of energy to be produced and it's hard to reuse. So again, back to the Netherlands, the homes are built with concrete and the streets and everything, and that is now limited. They are switching to wood homes? Yes. The in array, so you know, in array, it is a half mile long road to get back to where the houses are, and it is gravel. And we have developed the neighborhood in accordance with the county's low impact development standards. And so, there's because we're keeping so much land in open space, we don't have to, we, we didn't have to put in stormwater management basins. The stormwater will be handled naturally by the environment, the way that we have developed the neighborhood. And that's what I wanted to talk about more, water table levels and handling of rainwater in our neighborhoods. One is the gravel, so it's pervious. And that's an important thing. Uh, that was one of the reasons for a gravel road. Other is that there are all kinds of ways to collect the rainwater that comes down from your roof and reuse that. Uh, you can reuse it uh, you know, in general, of course, for your garden and so. In ultimate, you could use it for uh, doing your dishes or your wash or uh, you know, even shower or your, your bathroom, your toilets. It, it is for the people to decide and maybe you know you have more innovative people that will put a second line with, uh, with what we call gray water or they don't. It's up to them. That's not something that we have in hand, but I think that fits with uh, the kind of community array is. Smart ways to avoid uh, energy incense. For instance, when you shower, you can use the water that goes down to the sewer. You can use that water on the way down to preheat the water where you shower with. It doesn't cost much. It's a simple thing and it's easy to build in. You guys mentioned that it's hard to find builders who are aligned and committed to your philosophy of building a sustainable home because most people don't want to change. What assistance will you provide to the homeowners? Because there is a person, I want my home to be sustainable. I want it to be net zero. I have difficulty finding a builder. What role are you going to play? I mean, there are builders out there, you know, so basically used to just working the way that they work. You know what I mean? So they, they'll design a custom home and that's really it. Do you have sustainable builders or no? Yes. 
We have them, but they're not aggressive, really. They're really not thinking outside the box. You can go to other parts of the state and other parts of the country, and you're going to find many more builders that are really thinking outside the box. We have builders in the array. They're working now, building houses, constructing houses. We have builders that really think aligned with what we think. But we encountered that about 99% of the builders here don't think like that. And in a way, I would say that's a bad business model because this type of homes will come rapidly from now on because we have to change no matter what. I think that people think Array is a hippie neighborhood because (laughs) it's a net zero neighborhood where we're really taking care of the environment. And I have literally heard people say that. And it's like, well, you know, you really should come and check it out and talk with the people that are (laughs) buying houses and starting to build homes in there. Because, But I think there's this preconceived perception, you know, that is just a hippie neighborhood. We have on our website, ArraySustainableLiving.com, we have uh, examples of really beautiful homes. And in my world, hippie is good. (laughs) It's a little bit outdated. (laughs) It's a 12-lot neighborhood, and it's in Orange County, North Carolina, which is truly, we live in a little protected bubble in Orange County, North Carolina. It's the most progressive part of the state. It's a beautiful protected bubble. You know, there's still five lots, the same five lots that have been sitting there since last year. The first seven were really easy, were really easy. And even people coming from all over the country. But it's very interesting. People don't like the gravel road or, you know, there's this or that. So it just takes time. Change takes time. And wishing you both all the best. Thank you so much, Jody and Cor, for coming on Mindful Businesses. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for you know having us and giving us time to present our thoughts. You're listening to Mindful Businesses, produced and hosted by Vidya Ayer. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Click on the subscribe button to be the first to learn about our latest episodes. We recorded this podcast in Buffalo, New York. Theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. Roseanne Kurian is our marketing assistant. Kathan Karat is our podcast editor. Our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pashrija. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.